What have you been watching? I tried to watch um, The Nevers last night, that uh, that new Joss Whedon show on HBO. That So you're familiar with Joss Whedon, right? No. So he did Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He did Avengers. Um, uh, he did Firefly. He did Dollhouse. Like, pretty famous nerd guy, right? Okay, so I know him without really knowing him. Yeah, 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 you definitely. His his whole thing was, like, uh, powerful women, right? That was, like, his whole shtick. And so then yeah, for it, sure. So, and he also was the one that stepped in when Zack Snyder left Justice League, so he was brought in uh, to finish it. And then the actor that played Cyborg came out and was like, yo, Joss Whedon's like a racist, a misogynist, he's abusive. Yeah, and so he, and then everyone else, uh, all these other actors came out and were like, yeah, he's a piece of shit. So this was his uh, first HBO show, and he left uh, before all this fallout. Um, But... uh, Getting canceled? Yeah, so he probably would have gotten fired anyway, but he ended up leaving. So, yeah, uh, but it kind of sucked. Long story short, it it's does about, suck. Yeah, it's <laughs> about like uh, these Victorian women with special powers, and it's like steampunky. But it just like I couldn't even really get through the first episode. I was like, this kind of sucks. Ah, uh, boo! Yeah, you don't want to know what I've been watching, dude. I've been watching fucking Ink Master. That's a good show. Man, I'm like, I'm so into uh, competition reality TV shows. Mm. It's it's not, it's like an addiction. It's uh, it's just what I like to watch. You know, I, I typically don't watch too much TV, but when I do, it's like right before I go to bed and I like to, man, I was really into like, I got into Flavor of Love not long ago. <laughs> Like, and for the I, first I watched, time? Like, you never watched it when it came out? No, well, kind of. I, I watched it as, a, like, when, when it came out, but only in, like, certain episodes. I never, like, sat back and watched the entire thing. Like, I didn't like know that, who won. That's where we got Tila Tequila from, right? Uh, or was that no. Rock of Love? No. I That might have been Rock of Love, which I have not watched all of that yet. I That's one of the ones that I can't, I can't finish it. That <laughs> like, one's ridiculous. It's so Brett absurd. Michaels is just such a, a cheese ball, dude. I loved um, Celebrity Rehab. Yeah, Celebrity Rehab was really good. I'm, I'm a big Dr. Drew fan. I had well, and I had um, I had Bob Forrest on the podcast, and I like I was trying to be nice about it, but my question was essentially like, do you feel bad for kind of like? Do you do you not think that you did harm to these people by that show? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can't yeah. you can't expect to have like a real like if I was in rehab and I knew it was being filmed, that's not going to be a real rehab experience. Exactly, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's, there's some things, there's some like really dark things that you just can't you can't show to the world, and especially when you're a celebrity, like you don't want to release all of that that dark information, it, it, it kind of, it's ruining yeah. life. Ruining. We, we, that was our idea. So when I was in St. Christopher's, this one rehab, that was our idea. We were going to call it halfway home the, or halfway there. And the theme song was going to be living on a prayer. We had it all mapped out. Uh, cause it, it would make incredibly good reality TV. But, oh, for sure. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, a, a selfish part of me thinks, wishes that they would keep going with it and keep doing it because i just enjoy watching it so much well now you have oh and by the way this is tyler harper guitarist um uh mohawk aficionado um (laughs) founder of capra uh former host of strange city podcast that's right um co-host of grindhouse co-host of done it all man uh, welcome to the podcast. Um, oh, I was going to say, but then we, now we have me. intervention. Yeah. That's tough to watch though. Intervention is very, very hard to watch. It's, uh, it's super realistic. 
the funny uh, I think the funniest episode I remember was kind of bums me out. Uh, not into depressing TV is why I watch like is why I go towards the competition reality shows because I can have like you know my my hero of the show that I'm rooting for and I just get really into it. I'm not into I know the ending of intervention, you know, typically. Well, and that's uh, like I was telling you, yeah, and that's uh so the keyboardist uh Buka Nile, Buka, excuse me. I had her on the show also. The keyboardist for Make Them Suffer is on the Australian Married at First Sight. So I oh, I wow. really want to watch that. Yeah. Wow. She's hilarious. She's an interesting fucking person, dude. Like she No, dude, I did all of 90 Day Fiance and it was a rough time in my life. And I, I, I haven't allowed myself to watch Married at First Sight yet. What was the um what was the Amish one where it they filmed there like when you turn eighteen you can go out into the world? Was it called oh, like Breaking shit. Amish? Yeah. I remember that. I don't know, probably called like Breaking Amish or something like that. Yeah, that's what I said. Oh. Well I didn't hear you. I was talking. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't uh yeah, I don't remember the, the name. So speaking of reality and stuff, so I met Tyler. This is uh, what I remember of how I met you was uh, I had just moved to Lafayette and I was getting sober and there's one big meeting, um, a meeting on Wednesday nights and typically like I've figured out, especially in the deep south, in the sobriety community, there's going to be a very, um, the the vast majority of people are going to be your uh, rap listening, um, how do I put that correctly? Gangsters. Gangsters, yes. Wanna be gangsters. That's going to be, be your, typical, your typical people there. And I remember yeah. we were... Uh, doing the prayer at the end and I seen this dude wearing a Seisha shirt. Is that even how you pronounce it? Yeah, that's how you say it. Seisha. Yeah. It's yeah. a word uh, they invented. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Like I think he, so you remember, but also that's never, that's never a sure thing. Cause you remember like when we were in high school, like if you seen a dude wearing skinny jeans and a band t-shirt, you knew that y'all listen to the same kind of music. Right, we Nowadays, were going to be That don't mean shit. No, no. Which is which is you've so got, you've got your whole you've got your whole hipster realm of people, uh, your your folklore listening people. Uh, I don't know. It's it's kind of like a it's become a trend. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, that dude seems cool. And then I don't even remember how I think your girlfriend was friends with my wife. And I don't remember how we even like started talking originally. I don't um, either. I I was very to myself at meetings. I didn't want to meet anybody. Uh, I'm not very social when it comes to the treatment or the um, in the program. So, what what is your you know what's your story into recovery? you know, what was your, what was your thing and kind of how did you land in Lafayette? And, uh, I was okay, born I've, in Lafayette. I've never actually heard it by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I was born, I was born in Lafayette and I mean, down here, it's just a lot of drinking. There's a lot of drugs. Uh, and I was, I was a musician since I was nine years old. So I got caught up in the bar scenes. I got caught up in the drug life and my two my two drugs of choice are alcohol and cocaine. Uh, when was your first drink? I think at 14 years old. Um, my first, I remember it actually. I was at boarding school. I got sent to boarding school in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. And we really didn't have that much to do. I didn't have a car at the time. Why'd you get so sent to boarding I would have school? To, what's that? What made you get sent to boarding school? Uh, I was a rebellious kid. I was, I, I never paid attention in class. I was always the kind of kid that would want to make people laugh. I didn't really have to study. So I made decent grades, but I was really ADD. And, uh, and I, I just, I wouldn't try. I wouldn't put any for any effort forth to do decent in school. So my parents 
you know, they, I was the bad kid and they had had enough of me, I guess. And they were like, it's time that we send you off. You're going to go to boarding school. It's a great school. Looking back. Um, I remember feeling, I remember feeling pretty alone in that time. And, uh, and I didn't have a car, so I would have to stay there on the weekend. So I, I lived at my school for, you know, the entire year. And I remember I got, the first thing I really got into was, was taking, um, Coruscant. Yes. That like, was my first thing, bro. Coruscant, yeah, cough and cool. cold. Right. We, so we would just like eat a ton of those and like get real weird. And I, I remember the feeling of, of being fucked up and saying like, wow, this is awesome. This takes me out of like my feelings of loneliness or any sort of negative thought that would cross my mind would just kind of went away and uh and then i remember being we had a beach like right across which was super super pretty and all that um but i remember some kids having alcohol they snuck alcohol in one weekend and it was a bottle of vodka so we got some gatorade and we got vodka and that was the first time i drank and i can't remember if i liked it or not i I don't I don't remember if it was like that was my life changing event, but I do know that I wanted to do it again because I liked the feeling of being fucked up. Yeah. So I kept, you know, that was kind of like a weekend thing at that point. And then after I got out of boarding school, I would come home, we would play shows. I would drink beers. I would go back to my Gatorade and vodka. Like when I was like, 15 16 years old like that was my drink was gatorade and vodka what flavor gatorade oh it didn't matter oh okay it it was all about it was all about the alcohol at least you were getting your electrolytes that's right it's probably stay hydrated get messed up uh i didn't really start messing with cocaine until i was in my early 20s and uh that was just that was really eye-opening i i became (laughs) no pun intended (laughs) No pun intended. Yeah. Actually, I intended that. I intended that pun. I'm going to start intending all puns from now on. Um, no, but it was one of those things where, like, I knew that cocaine was addictive, and I became addicted that first time. And yep. I knew it. My- I could feel it. Like, alcoholism, it always took me, like, I would drink and drink and drink, but I would say, like, oh, I'm not an alcoholic yet. That's pretty cool. I, I feel like it's the same way with cigarettes. Like I would smoke cigarettes for like three years and I'd be like, am I addicted to these things yet? Cause you never really know you're addicted. Yeah. Until you try to stop until you try to stop. Uh, so yeah, I was heavily addicted to cigarettes and I was already an alcoholic, but I wouldn't admit that for years and years and years. Cocaine. I knew, <laughs> I knew immediately, like, hey, I'm addicted to this. This is wonderful. This is the greatest drug I've ever done. I can drink more when I'm on it. Uh, it made everything better. Yeah. Uh, except for my life. Like, it made my life a lot worse. Um, yeah. <laughs> every, to everything around me. Um, it made things better for me and not everyone else. That's the that's the classic, like, true alcoholics that discover stimulants. Um like your amphetamines or cocaine, like they figure out something that like allows them to drink more. Yeah. It's like a, that's like a classic move. Yeah. My, my first time doing cocaine was my 15th birthday. And I remember my buddy Andrew was like, Jed, this isn't like other drugs. Cause I'd been trying all these other drugs. He's like, listen, this is like, this is this isn't like other drugs. It's, you don't want no part yeah, of it. Yeah, you don't. Want, that's exactly what it was. And I was like, yeah, 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 sure, man. I get it. I get it. Sure. And, I want uh, it. Sounds yeah, like I want yeah. a part of that. And uh, I did it. And then I remember I went home and watched uh, that Colin Farrell movie, Phone Booth. Okay. I, I don't know why I remember this distinctly, and I was like, oh, this isn't that bad. Like, this is actually kind of fun. Like, I enjoy this. And then fucking addicted bro that was yeah. my, that was my first 
for foray into something that I had to start like stealing and selling things to get because uh, it was because it it's cocaine really sucks, man. Like yeah, it does. It's yeah, sucks. it does. Uh, it's just it's so good for a very short period of time. Right. For me, the addictive part of it is the taste, is the drip that comes down your throat. Uh, and I just loved putting stuff in my nose. Like that was, uh, I don't know the words to describe it. It became like a, like a ritual. Oh, yeah. I, like I started. felt I needed to do it. Yeah, like every, uh, I tried especially, to. Especially like being a musician, like I felt that I needed it to write and be creative. And, uh, and it turns out years later, like in sobriety, that that was hurtful. That was, that was only, it, it did not make me write music better. It made me write music worse. I just thought it was good. I was, I was high when I did that. Yeah. It's the classic, uh, like Leonardo DiCaprio basketball diaries when he does the Coke and he's just staying up writing. Right. Yeah. Right. I, so yeah, I got into that. I got into Adderall. I got into meth. Um, I did meth on accident. I thought it was cocaine. And I've actually heard a lot of people say that. that it's a happy that little accident. First time. <laughs> I, I've heard a lot of people say that their first time was uh, was on accident, thinking that it was cocaine. And then you feel that intense burn in your nose and you yeah. realize quickly this is not the same thing or this is bad. This is bad my, cocaine. <laughs> my buddy called them Viking tears when you would snort it and then like get hurt so bad your eyes water. He's like, yes. oh, here come the Viking tears. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, those are, I mean, I've done, as far as drugs, like, I mean, my life, it took its course in, in the drug world. I stayed away from heroin. I stayed away from crack. And that was only because one, I'm, I don't like needles, and two, I didn't want to be a crackhead. Mm -hmm. uh, I also would never want to smoke anything. I valued my teeth, so I was a I was a smart addict in a sense. Right. I was a dumb smart addict. Right. Plus, I just knew from that first time uh, with coke and with like MDMA that like I knew I was an addict. Um, I never, I think what it was, was I never looked at alcohol or cigarettes or weed as drugs. Mm. And even today, like weed and cigarettes, I can see how they are drugs. I still don't view them in the same realm as drugs, Sure. but alcohol, I 100% like changed my thought process. And that is absolutely a drug. Yeah. It's the worst drug. It is the worst drug. And, uh, yeah, I don't want to say it's the hardest to get off, but it's it's one of the hardest to stay off because it's especially it's just every it's everywhere. Yeah. It's a it's part of the culture, especially here in Louisiana. It's everywhere. It's uh can be relatively cheap. It's socially acceptable. Um, yeah, and other people don't view it that way as well. Like I can't remember how many times I had gotten out of rehab, like for heroin or whatever. And my friends would want to celebrate with a drink. And they're just like, well, yeah, you're off the heroin, but like, here's a beer. Like this isn't, why can't you drink? Right. I don't get it. Right. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Some people just don't understand it. I've, I've got people till this, to this day, you know, they'll ask me, they'll say, do you want to try this beer? Do you want to take a sip? Like what's a sip going to do to you? <clears throat> and you, you don't understand what that sip will do to me. Right. Right. So what, what happened that, uh, like, where did your life go from trying the cocaina to, mm -hmm. uh, winding up in treatment? Oh, it's like, uh, it's, it's like watching a movie on fast forward in my brain at this point. Um, but it, I mean, it led to a lot of dark, dark stuff i mean i got my first dui in 2013 i had been at a bar all night uh i was blackout drunk i had cocaine on me i remember a guy i remember smoking a cigarette outside and a guy looking at me the wrong way 
and I broke his nose. And then like with your I had mind? to go clean. I'm sorry. Like with like with your mind, you just like stared at him, and his nose just no. Like I smashed oh, okay. my fist gotcha. into his nose, and then I had to go into the bathroom, and I was cleaning up the blood all over my hands and my knuckles. And somebody ran into the bathroom and said, "Hey, what the fuck?" Like the cops are on their way. So I ran out of the bar, jumped into my car, took off, and I ran a red light. And a car hit me head on at like 75 miles an hour. And they flipped like three times in the middle of the highway. And uh, I remember I just started crying. I convinced myself that there was a kid in the car and that I had just killed like an entire family. Mm. And it was all because I was fighting at bars, getting fucked up. And uh, I spent eight days in jail over that one. And as soon as I got out, You'd think that my life would be turned around, but obviously my car was totaled. So I was on foot getting out of jail and I walked about two miles to, I was living in Austin at the time. So I walked across the highway and I went to a music venue. There was like an outdoor uh, show and there was like two or three kegs and I just started drinking again. And it was like, that that kind of spiraled out for the next three years until I got my next DUI. Um, I mean, I'm I'm leaving out like a lot of like real dark stuff just to not get into it and not not bring it up. But so fast forward to my next DUI. This was 2015, June 25th. Uh, and this one I didn't get in any wreck, but I was. I was still just like fucking up my whole family and I was, I was out by myself at a bar drinking, uh, got blackout drunk and decided to drive without my headlights on. It was like mm. a well-lit area. So I thought my headlights were on, but I got pulled over and the cop, he, he did tell me if I blew into the, the, uh, the breathalyzer that I would not have to go to jail and me being so drunk that I was believed it. So I blew like, <laughs> I blew like a 0. 0.31. And he was like, yeah, buddy, I gotta take you. <laughs> you like, mem- remember how I said you weren't going to jail? Yeah. Gotcha. So I had to call my mom and I remember that was my last cell phone call. I just called her and I said, Hey, I'm going to jail. Uh, please come get me. And, I. Uh, and then I hung up and she would not come get me. So I spent almost, I think, 35 days in jail. I detoxed there and I decided at that moment that I would go to my sixth rehab and uh, this was it. And I don't know if I truly believed that this was it at that time, but something something happened in my last rehab. I think they brainwashed me for the better, man. Like, what was your last one? Where was it at? It was, uh, it was called the Phoenix House, and it was in Ocala, Florida. I had to get as far away from here as possible. I'd been to rehabs before locally, where I would get, I would make phone calls, and I would have people bring me stuff, throw it over the gate, and uh, I never really took it seriously until this last time. And I remember like day four, sitting down, and somebody sat next to me. And they were like, man, I can't get, I can't wait to get out of here. I can't wait to get fucked up again. Like you look like my kind of people, you look like you're not in here, you know, to, to get clean. And like, I got offended by that. I was like, dude, I have been through fucking hell and I'm here because I put myself here. And like, this is my time to better my life, you know? And, uh, I think just saying those words to another human being like kind of motivated me to actually do it. And then I, I was supposed to spend 30 days there. I ended up staying for 92. I just wanted to be there. I didn't want to go home. I didn't want to be around people that, you know, could influence me to get back to where I was. And uh, so I did the 92 days and then I, I did a month in sober living in Florida and quickly realized that I did not want to live in Florida. So yes. I, 
I moved back to Lafayette. It was it was time, and I stayed in an Oxford house for the next year. So by the time I was done with this, I had a good year and a half, good year and a half clean. And uh, I think all of that, all of those steps really helped to keep me sober. Right. What? So, yeah, I guess that would have been right around the time that I met you. What? Um. So before we kind of get off of this, what? I know you kind of have different ideas. So, you know, uh, 12 step stuff is relatively spiritual, right? Um, yes. What, what do you consider your spirituality and what are kind of the things, um, that you do, you know, daily or currently to kind of maintain your recovery? Uh, music has always been a a huge part of my life. And that's like something I go to anything creative, anything that I can zone out and take my brain, uh, from one point to the next, uh, guitar has been, I, I play guitar for almost four hours every single day. Um, that's kind of like I switched addictions, you know, and I've, I've gotten so much better at playing my instrument now that I'm not on drugs. And now that I can really delve into how to do that, uh, as far as the spiritual aspect goes, uh, I made my higher power the universe. Uh, I just let it kind of pull me in whatever way it wants to pull me. And lately, I've been saying more of yes to things. Even though I want to say no, I've learned that when I do say yes, like new opportunities come from that. Like, um, like what? I, I mean, just with anything. Like, do you want to do this? Do you want to do you want to go see a movie? If somebody would ask me to go see a movie, I'd say normally I would want to say no. Like, I don't want to do that. I, I want to stay home. I want to watch TV. I want to play guitar. But like nowadays, I'll say yes to those situations. And that could lead to, you know, something much cooler, something that would not have happened. Yeah. It's almost like this uh this this fate thing and I let fate pull the strings. You know, if that person had the fate to ask me to come with them to do something and I'm shutting it down, I'm just I'm killing that timeline rather than me doing it and seeing where they were in their head to ask me to do that. Yeah. And no, you know, really. have something possibly flourish from that. Yeah. It, it gets into this whole like uh alternate dimension type yeah situation it's essentially letting go of of your will uh and kind of killing selfishness as well where it's like you know people a lot of people don't understand that you know if you build a wall around yourself yes you will be protected but you will also keep out the good things right so it's right it's this barrier that you have that's just keeping out everything and then you're just left with yourself and sometimes we don't know what we truly need or what really makes us happy like we think we do but yeah and it also brings me back to when i was drinking and using drugs it's like i avoided everything Mm. so if i'm keeping those same habits and i'm doing the same things over and over again i'm I'm back in that same spot. Right. Yeah. It's a shitty place to be. It is. Yeah. Um, Just like with this podcast, I could have said, Hey, no, I don't want to do it, but you know, let's, let's have the chat. I'm not one to typically tell my story. And a lot of people don't understand why I don't go to meetings. They don't understand why I don't have a sponsor um, and how I stay sober. Uh, and honestly, I don't even know the answers to that. It's just this self-will thing. And I know where I was and I know where I want to be. And I, I mean, I, I do see a therapist. Uh, I consider that my sponsor in a certain way. And I will, go to, I will go to speaker meetings every now and then. I like to hear people share their story. I like to talk. These days, I like to talk more with, with uh, recovering addicts and hear where they came from. And if I have any sort of thing that I can help them with, 
I'm always, I'm always down to help people. Um, the whole AA vibe, as we talked in the beginning of this podcast, is just, it just never was my style. It was never my crowd to be around. There's a lot of things that annoy me in meetings and bring me back to how I used to feel like anger. Mm. And I don't like to feel that way anymore. Yes. I, f- I feel you on that a hundred percent. And with the therapy thing. So you also, you know, like me struggle with some, some mental illness, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I got diagnosed bipolar when I was 17 years old. Uh, bipolar two, the, I call it the not fun one, but it's also like the not, it's not the serious one, you know, like it's right. still serious in, in a sense. Um, you know, I don't, I don't ever really black out. Uh, I, I just get, I, I never really know how my day's going to go when I'm off meds. Like I never know what tomorrow will bring. It's, it's like. Am I going to be depressed? Am I going to be uh, flying off the handle, just spending money? Um, and then, not to say I don't black out, but a lot of the times when I'm manic, like I don't remember these things. I don't remember the things that I do. And it's really cool in music. It's not so much cool when with like spending money and buying random things that you forget that you buy. Yeah, exactly. But I, there's songs like, there's songs on our album uh, that will be heard when it comes out that I honestly don't remember writing. And it's because I was in that manic state of mind when I, when I did it. And, you know, that kind of bothers me. And I talked to my therapist about it. I, I might end up getting back off my meds when I really write the next album. Because since I've started, since I've started, like, I, so I started taking Abilify and it's made my life wonderful. How long, sorry, but how long were you, is this the first time you've been medicated for it? No. So okay. I got diagnosed at 17 and I was on and off meds, uh, until my early twenties. Okay. I tried every medication in the book and it, at that point in time, I just thought kind of how I feel now still about it, but it, it changes my creative out outlook sure and it changes the way that i i feel and the way that i can write music you know i i still need to channel that aggression that's inside of me i still need to channel all the anger that i felt uh growing up and i i need to at this point in my life channel everything that i felt while going through addiction because that's what that's what my band is about you know it's 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 about taking all of your inner emotions and showing others that like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. That way we're there with you. You can relate to us. We're there for you and our music can help you in some sort of way. We want to be that voice for somebody that, that feels like they're unheard. But you know, if I'm, if I'm feeling real happy about stuff right now, then I can't really do that. Yeah, it's it's the creative's dilemma, and I think it was made, like, really famous. You know, Kanye West comes to mind, where it's kind of like... I, I mean, I, I you know, I'm an, I'm an artist, too, and creativity is literally, like, your livelihood. So it's one of those weird trade-offs where it's like, do I want something that is potentially going to rob me of that? And then on the yeah. other hand, am I so off the rails symptomatic with my mental health that I'm not doing that shit anyway. Yeah. And it's a real, I think this is something that a lot of out people outside looking in are just like, well, I I don't get it. You have this mental illness. This medication helps with it. Why would you not just do that? It's like, it is so not that simple, man. It's not, it's not the, the world is not black and gray. It's, it's so much more complicated than that. And uh, uh, I kind of lost my train of thought, but that's a that's a tricky one, man, because then it's like, you know, anytime you well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I was put on uh, lithium for, you know, bipolar and I 
stop taking that because I wasn't I wasn't liking it. You know, I wasn't yeah. liking how it was feeling. Um, right. I'm still on uh, another SSRI medication, but it's like, yeah, I I feel you, man. It's such a it's such a trade off. I wish there was just you know in a perfect world that there was something, um, something proven to be fucking perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, is that so hard? Is that is that so much to ask for? Right. Come on, we're in 2021. <sighs> yeah, There's got to be something. No, but like I, I started taking Abilify and I've I've really been liking it. It's, you know, it almost makes me feel I want to say nothing, but in a way I can now I can process my emotions. I can understand when I'm happy and I can understand when I'm sad, and I can take that and I can work through it rather than not knowing how I feel and burying it. And I believe that at this point, I I mean, I, I have to get off them to write music, but I know that now that I've found my medication, I can get back on it and I'm going to stick with my therapist and my psychiatrist and, and, you know, kind of work through those things while I'm off. Yeah. Have you like told um, them the, those plans? I, I did. I did. And they get it. They understand it's, it's, you know, it's, it's really hard for a musician to, that, that struggles with these things. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. It just makes, you know, you know, the drill, just make sure that you're very vigilant during those periods of, of being off. Cause that's, yeah. But I, I get it, dude. I feel you a hundred percent. I also have a great support system. You know, when I, I did AA meetings and NA meetings for about two years, and I did meet some really cool people that I have around me, yourself included. Yeah, that's damn right. And uh, and so I've made my my own my own meetings. You know, I know I know when I'm fucking up these days, and I know when I need to reach out. I know when I need to I know when I need to call the right person because I can call some people and say, "Hey, am I fucking up?" And they'll tell me no all day. Right. And I don't need that in my life. I need you to call me out and I need you to say, Hey, look, dude, what you did in this situation is not cool. Yep. Yeah, man. So with, with the band, so y'all, a lot of things happen with that where you recently, you know, all your hard work pays off. You get signed to a major label yeah, planning tours, and yeah. then pandemic. Pandemic. Uh, so yeah, kind of. This only makes sense, right? Yeah, man. Kind of run me through, you know, uh, you know, getting signed, what that took, who you got signed with, all that good stuff. Yeah, so we've been a band for f- about five and a half years now, and it's been a long, long, long road. Uh, nothing. No success comes easy, uh, really. So we, you know, we went through a lot of lineup changes over the years. Uh, we wrote a lot of songs that we liked that we didn't like. And then uh, finally, you know, we started working with this really awesome manager. His name's Matt Bacon. And he kind of, he kind of showed us how to do things uh, not in the DIY realm. So we've just been a kind of like a DIY. We've been doing everything ourselves this entire time. And he showed us the ropes on like, Hey, you need to be like very active on social media. You need to be posting all of this stuff. Uh, You need to do this sort of video uh, on this date. And then that got us the attention of Chris Santos, who's a celebrity chef. He's on uh, the show chopped and he also owns blacklight media records which is a subsidiary of Metal Blade Records. And Chris immediately fell in love with our band and he took us over to Brian Slagle. Brian Slagle listened to our music, which blew my mind. Who Uh, is Brian Slagle for those? Brian Slagle is the CEO and owner founder of Metal Blade Records. Okay. So he's responsible for bands like Metallica and Slayer and Dragon Force and Killswitch Engage, all these huge names. And here he is, you know, sitting in his cave. I imagine it's like a cave of an office, like <laughs> this super metal, like something a dragon would live in. And he's listening to our a music. Layer. 
a layer, Brian Slagle's layer. And he's listening to our music and he loved it. So one day we're at practice and we get a, an email from Metal Blade Records and they are interested in signing us. And we, we all think it's a joke. We flip out. We're like, there's, this is crazy. You know, we're, we're nobodies. Um, it turns out it was very real. And so we started going through the process. We got a lawyer and boom, it's this, it's March of 2020 and the pandemic just shut everything down. And uh, we get a follow-up email from Metal Blitz saying that they're shutting down until around August or July, July or August. And we had already been sitting on this album for about a year and a half. So we figured, oh, we're never going to release this. We're never going to get this deal now. Some band's going to come out. They're going to blow us out of the water. A lot of like self-doubt, which we really didn't need to have. Um, but it's just, it's one of those things where it's so surreal and unbelievable when it's happening that you just, you think the worst, yep. especially when a pandemic just hit. And, uh, and so July rolls around and they send us another email and they're ready to sign us. And it was, uh, it was about a two month process on that. And um, we set a date. We, we tried to, we tried to set a date for album release to where we could tour with it. Uh, but everything was just so uncertain. So we pushed it back as far as we could to April 23rd. And here we are, I think 11 days out. And uh, we're also in the process of booking a tour in the fall for October and November. We're going to go, uh, we're going to do like a 23 date tour all the way up the North East coast, hit Detroit and come back down through Austin, Texas, I think is our, or I think our last date will be a local show, but we're going to, we're going to hit the Northeast, come all the way back through Texas. And then it's just, it's crazy to be talking about all this. And it's, I know. It's, Cause it, it's, yeah, I've, I've kind of been there with you through, through a little bit. Um, and it, yeah, it's, you're on the album. Oh, that I am. Yeah. I, nobody, I, uh, nobody knows that yet, but no, nope, uh, I, I do. Uh, you were so gracious as to allow me to, uh, throw down some guest Vox, some, uh, some screaming, some hollering on there. So be right. looking out for that. It's um, kind of crazy, you know, to go through your entire life pretending to be a rock star and like going through the motions of what it's like to be a rock star in the sense of like getting fucked up trashing hotel rooms being really a shitty person to everyone and everything and stomping your way to success and then realizing in sobriety that that's not what it takes right that's like the opposite of what it takes labels don't want that they want to know you're doing well and they want you to be respectful you're a liability at this point oh, you yeah. know yeah especially if you have you know it's a it's it's quite a different story for you know guns and roses to trash hotel rooms versus like a local band <laughs> like trashing the the super eight it's like it's not going to be mean, looked oh, on and we were I, I mean this is the first band i've been in where i've i've been sober in its entirety and back in the day i mean we we were doing all the typical 80s rock stars things you know we were breaking shit in hotels we were peeing off balconies uh we were just causing a ruckus and it got us nowhere yeah yeah it's funny how the the overall um philosophies and how that kind of behavior is viewed is completely changed now where it's like it is well, I guess because a lot of scene bands have had members overdose and die or commit suicide, and it's like yeah. no one's really Which is still happening that. today. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And so it's like that's not what – which I guess is a, sign, a good sign of change for the youth and, like, you know, the, the cultural zeitgeist that everyone's like, nah, that shit's not cool. I guess because we're tired of, of losing people that we like. Uh, yeah, for one. Yeah, for sure. And more, more and more 
pretty much everyone you know knows someone in their family, friends, um, that has been touched by addiction. Like it's it's so widespread right right now that the the whole image of that being cool is, is just that narrative's really getting rewritten. I'm glad it's dying, and I'm glad the stigma that people have set on addiction is going away. I think For people sure. are, are are starting to open up, and there's more mental health awareness. There's more uh, active addiction awareness, and and people are people are starting to take it seriously, which is really good to see. Yeah. What um, oh, that's a brain fart. That's what that is right there. Um, it sounded like it. I heard it. Yeah, it did, dude. Oh shit! What was I gonna say? Um, well, we can come back to it. Yeah, I can't remember. No, I've like, been really, I've been hearing really good things. Uh, Metal that, Blade sent out. They sent out our album to a lot of different people for reviews. That was the question. What's the reception? Interviews. Yeah, the reception's been very, very good. Um. We've hit, we're, we're at about almost 60,000 streams on Spotify, just over two songs, which is mind blowing to me. It, 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 it's truly humbling in a way. Um, what I was going to tell you is that a lot of people really love the song that you're on and they keep asking me, who is it? Who is it? They think, I can't remember the name of the person that they think it is, uh, but it's, it's some, somebody in a very successful band. And I gotta be like, nah, that's just my boy Jed, just throwing it down, holding it, holding it down. Nice. <laughs> so, I think that's gonna be a hit. Uh, that that song in particular is gonna be a hit when the album releases. Yeah, I hope so. Make a video for it, bro. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm stoked for. So, what's uh, what are what are the current plans? Like, where do you want to see? I mean, so is your goal to make this your full time gig? Where do you see? Absolutely. Where do you see this going in the next five years? Uh, well, hopefully we turn into one of the biggest bands on the planet. There you go. That's the goal. <laughs> you know, I, I've always wanted to help people with my music. And um, I think we're doing that on a low, small scale right now. And I, I can only hope that it grows into this massive force where we can do it large scale. Um, other than that, we just, we plan to tour, we plan to meet people, hear their stories, talk to them, uh, and kick them in the chest while playing shows at the same time. That's what I'm saying. So tell everyone where they can find you on the socials, pre-orders, what's the album called? When does it drop? All that good stuff. So the album's called In Transmission. Uh, it comes out April 23rd. I think you can pre-order it right now through blacklightmediarecords.com slash Capra. Uh, you can follow us on all social media. Instagram is at Capra Band. Same for Twitter. Facebook.com slash Capra Band. Uh, I, think that's, I think that about does it. You can IndieMerch.com has our album. Uh, if you're listening from Europe, KingsRoad.de uh and that's about it that's that's all the spots good deal listen to us on spotify we like to we like to rake in those streams yeah uh, my goal my goal is to hit a hundred thousand streams by the end of the year and we're over halfway there yeah that'll happen that's over two songs we've got 10 more to release that'll so. happen man i'm so glad well, Tyler, I wish uh, you and the band all the success in the world. Thanks so much for stopping by, man. We'll, uh, yeah, dude, we'll... I really appreciate this. This was a lot of fun. I've been listening to your podcasts, so I've always wanted to be on one, and here we are. Here we are, bro.